Hi, you're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network, produced at 3CR Community Radio on Wurundjeri Country. And I'm Nikki Stott. Earlier this year, to celebrate NAIDOC Week, the Indigenous Peoples Organisation Australia, in collaboration with Better Futures Australia, hosted a webinar series called Heal Country, Heal Climate. And today on the show, we'll hear part one of a three-part episode called Community Healing. And this episode is chaired by Kabi Kabi and Goreng Goreng Man, Pastor Ray Minicon. And the speakers are Thangadi, Bunjalung and Maljul Man, Leighton Lee, Yamachi Man, Ernie Dingo, and Jonathan Hemawan, who is a Bunjalung Man of Lurichi Heritage. Well, good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining us. We've got three wonderful speakers tonight. I can't wait to hear them. We've got Leighton Lee. He's going to be speaking about... Uh, the impact of global warming on country and burning. Ernie, well, we all know Ernie. I'll introduce him shortly. And uh, he, he will be speaking from his own heart and his own journeys along the, this, this particular space. And then we also have Jonathan. But first of all, let me just introduce you to our very first speaker. Leighton is... Uh, He's an Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander artist based in Queensland. And he began his painting journey in early 2013. And he is developing his art continuously. His paintings are both stories that have been told to him and stories of his personal journey. He's worked in his artworks into fabrics, clothing, bookmarks, greeting cards and homewares. Leighton's on a life journey to revitalise his culture and learn the old ways of making weapons, tools and instruments, as well as bush medicines, foods, tracking, and using natural materials to make string baskets, fish traps, shelters, but also working with their young people through various organisations and schools. And he's also a part of working with the Fire Stick Dreaming People. So without further ado, Lee, it's over to you. Uh, good day, thanks, Hung. Um, yeah, my name is Leighton Lee. I'm a Thangadi Bundjalung Mwalgal man, um, currently living on Wanjarabara country. So I just want to acknowledge country before I start here and also just acknowledge all my many teachers um, I've had over the years. Um, going, having a look at where we are at the moment, um, we're kind of in a, in a bit of a, at a crossroads at the moment where we've got climate change and a lot of mismanagement on, on a lot of country uh, for the last uh, 100 years or so, or even longer in some areas. When we're talking about country and safety, we've only got to have a look at what happened in the 2019-2020 fires to see what the reality of, of where we're heading is if we don't um, start having a look at changing things. My current role at the moment is with Fire Sticks Alliance, we work all across the country, working with traditional owner groups to help restore and revitalise the, the cultural fire uh, back on country and empower traditional owners to actually take back um, the lead when it comes to fire on their country. 
we have uh, many different explanations to fire at the moment. We've got, uh, you hear terms of back burning, hazard reduction burning, um, ecological burns, all this different language around fire. But the reality of it is that we only have two fires, the right fire and the wrong fire. Some of the benefits that are actually coming from having the right fire um, and working with traditional owner groups all over the place is um, a lot, not only the benefits for the country, because as, as you know, been discussed is there's a whole heap of issues around water and industry and things like that that happen in Australia. Fire is another thing, but they're all connected. They're all connected in together and, and fire and water go together. Um, but fire in particular is very central as well to all of our learning and all of our knowledge systems, whether we're talking about foods, medicines, materials, songs, dreamings, as well as understanding relationships between people, animals, and the landscape itself. When we look at the benefits for people, especially for traditional owners, um, being able to get back out on country, we're looking at the social benefits. So the social benefits for people to actually be out on country, practicing culture as we have been for the last thousands of years is massive, massive for mental health, it's massive for confidence um, and it's also connecting people in together because it's not just about one group of people. What the right fire is actually doing is bringing people together so we're able to heal people and communities at the same time as, um, as the landscape. All it's doing is, is working with an understanding of how things are supposed to be um, and sharing some of that. When we look at the right fire for country, we're talking about many, many different diverse landscapes on various uh, landforms and soils with different trees and different grasses, and they all have interconnected relationships. Each one of those relationships need to be nurtured. And what we find for a lot of what we're seeing in current practices at the moment is uh, this isn't happening. Most of the fire that happens on the landscapes now are either arson or just the wrong fire that's only burning for hazard reduction and we can't keep going down the path like that so we really need to start listening to a lot of traditional owners and listening to what they have to say especially when it comes to uh, about managing um, issues on on their country i think we've in a place at the moment the nadoc theme for this year is heal country i see a lot of these themes sort of come and go, but um, it's a forever thing. If we don't start the process of actually coming back and listening to, to what the First Nations people are saying, then we're, we're not actually going to move anywhere forwards anywhere soon. The relationships that exist between people, the animals, whether that's breeding cycles or migration, the, the curing of the various grasses, in different places or the, the germinating of seeds for trees or the, the fruits or medicines um, that we need is all specific around timing and it's all specific around uh, what we would call our seasonal calendars which shift and move. So it's not like a, a rigid calendar that we see now and we need to 
when we look at any kind of climate change intervention, we need to actually start looking in the past, looking to the past to see where we need to actually start moving forwards with the future. I see a lot of hope and positivity across what I'm doing at the moment, uh, working with communities. The main area that I'm working in is Southeast Queensland. So working with a lot of um, different groups in Southeast Queensland, as well as um, all up the Eastern, Eastern Seaboard. But I think we need to start working together. We can't just leave all these different things to one group. So the approach of how we, how we tackle any of these issues from water to fire to clearing and things like that need to be a collaborative approach that we start having a look at and, and start um, working out a path forwards. But yeah, that's, a, that's a, a bit about what it is that I'm doing in that space. And, and there's a whole heap more coming with training programs across, across the country as well, uh, where we can hopefully build up a network of, you know, we want to see 100 fire practitioners across the country in the next couple of years. You know, I like that notion, you know, one of the, uh, one of the characteristics of being Indigenous is we like to walk backwards into the future because the past is as, as, as much as important to us as the present as well as the future. Brother, what do you see as some of the challenges for local communities when it comes to uh, the issues that you've just raised with us? Our policy, um, especially working with any um, agencies, uh, most of the real progress that I've seen is happening on that community level. So you've got private property owners, you've got council, um, you've got national parks, RFS, and traditional owners on a community level coming together to work out, you know, how they can start doing things. But what makes it really, really difficult is it's got to come from the top where we get some of those policy changes to actually allow um, some of the progress to, to move forwards. When you say from the top, is that state government as well yep. as federal or both? Yeah, both. And, and are you getting any traction there with, with any of those kind of policy changes? Uh, no, we're having conversations, but most of it's just been on that um, community level. That's probably where the uh, greatest will is and the greatest interest. But I think uh, in terms of what the state government or federal government could be doing as well is, is actually, rather than just some funding, actually allocate, allocate some real uh, funds into long-term programs where it's uh, First Nations run and led and actually, you know, give us a chance because we've got uh, thousands and thousands of years of knowledge that we can actually uh, do and in the process we're actually bringing people together as well. Mm. You're right there. I mean, you've got, you know, 60,000 years of knowledge and wisdom and history here and we can't allow the, the last 200 years or in, I think, from, from your case too, we've only brought this particular fire stick management back into, into vogue within the last, what, say, 20 years, 10 years? How, how long? Yes, um, yes been, there's been work happening for the last couple of decades in, um, in working with communities to restore that, that fire knowledge. But, yeah, more probably even the last two years, the jump from the, where the interest was before in the last two years has just... We've just been um, inundated with requests 
for, for training and workshops and things like that. Um, but that's part of the reason why it's so important to have, you know, 100 fire practitioners across the country who are able to uh, do that work competently and confidently. And you, um, you, do you see a lot of young people taking this on? I see interest from young people, but that's going to be the real key is, um, is engaging those young people and, and keeping those, those guys involved, or guys and girls, sorry, involved. It's practicing culture. At the end of the day, it's, um, yeah, it's practicing culture and bringing people back into, to connect with, with country and that not only the, the health benefits, but the spiritual benefits to that too in their own spirit. Uh, are just so big that yeah we need to um, try and keep that going with the next generation because it's no good you know a group of us do stuff now and in 30 years there's nobody else nobody left to do it again you're listening to earth matters on the community radio network There is a question here asking Lee, what changes in the season have the traditional owners noticed due to climate change and where should funding and efforts be focused first to help this? I think some of the changes are the, for example, this year, especially in Queensland here and, and I know parts of New South Wales has been a, an extended wet. So our wet season has shifted all the way around. So I've actually had my mulberry tree give me two lots of mulberries this year which has been nice but we're seeing a lot of um, those seasonal changes and and things like that uh, come down to um, a lot of our what we call our, our seasonal or cultural indicators so when we see particular flowers come out uh, you know we might know that the mullet's running in a particular area so we'd start making our way down towards the waters or when we start seeing those changes what happens is we, we adjust our practice or our movement um, according, and that can be uh, moving forwards or backwards. So that's where we can't be um, too focused on being stationary. We have to always be flexible to move with the time. As far as what needs to be put into place, we need to support a lot of the traditional owner organisations who are already active out in the space, as well as um, supporting other traditional owner groups who are wanting wanting to do stuff and actually start engaging and listening to what it is that First Nations people have to say. I want to go over to Johnsy now. He's up there in Cairns at the moment, living it up, living the dream. We're down here in Sydney in lockdown. We can't even get out the door. If we go out the door, we might get a $1,000 fine. <laughs> but let me introduce Johnsy. Johnsy actually is like a son to me, and uh, him, it, we both work together for an organisation called uh, Red Dust Role Models, but we've also been involved in so many other things out there in the, in the, in the desert area with our desert people, the Pindabi, the literature, and uh, all, all that mob out there. Johnsy is a qualified teacher, and one of the things that I've always enjoyed with my work with with Johnsy was to was to go out into Owen, Owen Springs there at the Juvie Justice Centre there and 
just sit down and, and teach the children. And uh, I have never seen a much more qualified person to actually engage with our young people in those kind of situations. They almost eat out of his hands in terms of what he wants to teach them and how he wants to help them. But <clears throat> he's also a muso. He's got a, a couple of uh, CDs out. I'll let him talk about that. He's also an alcohol and other drugs worker. He's a motor mechanic. If you want your car fixed, he'll come and fix it for you. <laughs> he's also got his own radio program uh, called Jam Packed, which is uh, beamed throughout the whole country there with a whole heap of incredible speakers on there, including Ernie, who you'll be hearing from soon. He's a highly sought after speaker on Aboriginal education, remote community development, health and spirituality, and a whole range of other things. He's a, he's a local speaker. He's also a uh, initiated young man from the Pintibi people. Johnsy, over to you, my brother. Thanks, Jamal. I'll tell you, you don't have to fail that because I'm just a man, right? And all i got is another story. That's all. Thanks, Brother Leighton, there too, for sharing with us, brother. Um, yeah, it was, it was really good to listen to you. And we could talk more about all that. That five, that five knowledge is so important, eh? So important. Um, yeah, look, Jamal, thanks for introducing me. You might recognise this house. I'm, I'm gate crashing his house. Countrymen come from desert, get, escaping COVID, get the cans, get myself a brand new razor. Winter time, eh? We don't know nothing about climate change. Shave my beard and my hair off. And I'm freezing. <laughs> no sense, this bloke. No sense. Uh, if I introduce myself and pay respects out there, um, I identify as a Luridji man from West Valley Springs. But as I get up, as I get older and I get more grey hairs on my chin and as I get stick my head out of the sand like a sand going, I start to get a little bit of criticism and uh, lateral violence. Ah, you don't speak for Luridji mob. You don't speak for us kind of thing. And so I sort of have to revert back to my Phillips Bundjalung side of the family on the Nana side. Then I talk about my Javanese family, then my Dutch family, then my First Fleet Welsh family. I'm thinking, what, a, what story I've got to tell you about who I am that justifies my DNA, you know? And then Uncle Ernie there, he, he was sharing a story with us and the kids in Adelaide one time. He said, hey, just tell them you're full blood. Because when you hit your head with Kudra or, or Woomera or whatever it might be, Nala Nala, you get full blood come straight out of that noggin right there. <laughs> so it doesn't matter what you call me as long as you don't call me late for a barbecue when the, when the whiskey's gone warm, right? Um, and I think when it comes to the, that issue of, of climate change in the in the bush, I've only got a couple of stories really, and and I've made a few connections, and they could be they could be long bow draws or they could be short. It's up to you. You de, you decide. But stories and, and life experiences, what for us really matters the most, because in those stories and those experiences, they paint a picture. And I'll I'll start with the first story because I took my young fellows, my my son, when he was about seven about six or seven, way back when, uh, and one of my nephews had so two sons again, you know, and they were both under 10. And we went to a Christian convention in, in Melbourne there, and Jamal Ray knows these. We're all those Christian conventions, get, we got, every countryman gets together, and then they put on this Indigenous night, you know, they called it the Blackout Night or whatever, and it's just tokenistic sort of, we get up and sing gospel songs, and they're still their songs, but they're just in language, you know, like Amazing Grace, you know. And this sort of thing, and that they make out like, God, oh, that's really fabulous indigenous-led ministry kind of thing. But really, we're just parroting off the English words from what the missionary taught us. Anyway, this old man in Melbourne there, he got up and he said, oh, I want to welcome you to country. He was from that, that way, you know, from the, uh, I think we're out at um, the, the ranges, eh? Geelong somewhere, right? Eh? Or was it, I don't know if it was Geelong or the Grampians, one of the mountain ranges mob. Anyway, he said, 
I want to welcome you. So he welcomed us. And then he looked at, at the mob who were there from the desert and from the north and the south and the east and the west. And he said, I want you to give us a response. And I looked over at my two brothers. They're two cousins. Eh? One's, God bless him, since gone missing. His name's Michael Maher, brother from South Coast, New South Wales. There, We don't know where he's gone. He's just gone missing. And uh, we're, just, we're praying for him. We're hoping that he's safe and he's right. Another fellow called Charlie Hodson, John Beginba, Arabana Mob, and also from Darunda and from right up in Darwin side too. And I had my two sons there. And we looked at each other and we said, hey, at our way, you can't, you can't do a response to country. You can't sing a song or dance because in old people, that's traditional, that's old knowledge, you know, that's initiated knowledge. And we're sitting there thinking we, we might get up, we might upset these mob. And, uh, and I said, no, nah, don't worry, we'll, we'll do something for him. We'll do something for him. And so we figured the next day we'll do it. So we went around that little community. And it was one of those little hillside communities, you know, that the, only, the blackest thing they've seen is their tea kettle, you know, sort of thing when it's got a bit of soot on it. But anyway, we were going around looking for ochre. Couldn't find any. So we found this clay, this sort of hand clay that these mob were using, making pots and stuff out of them. We got some of that. We put some water in it. We put it on our faces like this and put a couple of different markings, you know. And uh, we come out for the next day for this acknowledgement to, to sort of share with this old man that had welcomed him, welcomed him on, welcomed us onto his country. And we said, "Yeah, Uncle, we've got a song for you, and we just wanted these young fellows to, to thank you for welcoming us on your country. And anyway, we'd come out, we jumped out, right? And you know that calamine lotion that mum used to put on your auntie, used to put on you when you were little for mozzie bites and that? We looked like calamine people because that ochre come out real pink. <laughs> then we jumped out like this. And there's colour my lotions. Instead of turning red or ochre, it's just pink. And I'm thinking, oh, we're silly people. Why are we doing this for? But we wanted to show that old man respect, right? Because he wanted us, he wanted us to say thank you for having us. And we couldn't, we didn't just just want to say thank you for having us. Then we got up and I got the kids uh, to to you know, dance and that, and and the song goes like this. And Ernie would know because we do this all the time with young people, right? Right, we should have done this, these songs and these kids got up and they did that Indian dance and they, oh, that kangaroo dance, they did that Indian whatnot. And uh, afterwards, oh, everybody was like, oh, wow, this is, this is amazing, this is amazing. You know, the white fellas all come up and said, oh, you know, you should be so proud of yourself. And that old man was touched. He was really happy. And this is going back to 15, 20 years, you know. So we didn't sort of do a lot of, a lot of that, um, that we'd seen anyway. And, um, and he said, thank you so much. And those old, old white fellows and the Christian mob were coming up to my sons. And they were saying, oh, you must be so proud of yourself. And my boys were looking up at these white people and they're going, hey, oh, yeah, we're real proud. We, hey, we're real proud. Hey, Dad. Hey, Dad, we're real proud. That's our culture. That's our culture. And, um, and they're saying, oh, yeah, you know, how long have you learnt that song? And they're asking all those questions about initiation. They all want to know this. I don't know this. Whatever. It's almost like it's because it's sacred knowledge. They want to know it, you know. If only they just go get themselves a Tyndale book or a Tyndale map and he'll tell them all about it. Anyway, and the boys looked over and he said, hey, Uncle, yeah, we, that's our dreaming, eh, Uncle? That's our dreaming. We've been doing that for thousands of years, eh, Uncle? In our dream, in our dreaming time, eh, Uncle? Hey, Dad, hey, Dad. And I'm looking at him thinking, yeah, son, yeah, in that dreaming time, all right? And in the back of my head, I'm thinking, oh, in my dreams last night, two o'clock in the morning, I come up with that little salt. Don't worry about that. <laughs> anyway, anyway, the boys got older. The boys got older, and we initiated them the traditional way, right? We took them through law the, the proper way, right? And when they were about 16, 17, they come back to me, and they said, hey, hey Dad, remember that dance we done? That, that wasn't right, eh? That was wrong, eh? That was wrong. And I said, why? Why do you think it's wrong? 
They said, because, you know, we, we're we not allowed to talk about that turong, turong, you can't talk about that outside of bush camp. Hey, that's, that's law. We're not allowed to do that. And I said, yeah, it probably was wrong. I said, but those old people, they're not upset at us. And, he, and they said, why? why? Why are they upset? I said, listen, son. I said, what was the most important thing about that day? What, what do you remember? And they said, we were real proud. I said, yeah, yeah, you was. We were real happy. I said, yeah, you was really happy, eh? jumping around. And all them white people, they, they made us feel really happy and welcome. Eh? And I said, yeah, but what about that old man who welcomed us onto his country? How do you think he felt? And they said, oh, he, that was, he was probably really, he felt really respected, eh? respected. I said, yeah. I said, that's what culture is about to him. I said, look, sometimes we're going to have to break it. Sometimes we're going to have to make it up. Sometimes it's not going to be conventional. Sometimes, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's traditional in the bush or, and we're full proper negative. Sometimes it's in the cities and we're doing it for, you know, for an audience or whatever it might be. But I said to them, them, them young fellows, I said, son, the important thing about culture is you're connected and it's an expression of who you are and it's a celebration of who you are. And the fact is nobody else done it. That was us. That was your law. That was your culture. That was your tradition. And even to this day, I still don't know what those kids are thinking. They're probably thinking, oh, you'd make a shame job, eh, dancing around like that in calamine lotion, singing songs that you just made up on the spot, you know, make us dance the Indian dance sort of thing. And I think that's, that's true. That's, that's, sometimes that's what we have to do to make ourselves feel proud uh, as people. But if I look at, if I look at the, the connection to country when it comes to the issue of, of water and of climate change, in our community, which is about 600k west of Alice Springs, so um, Ernie, you might, I don't know which track you come up with, you come up that old, that old Warakurna Desert Highway track, that old Gun Barrel Highway or not, or you go going across the Nullarbor, or even maybe you come from the, might have come from the Pilbara, from the Telfer, right across that western side, coming from WA, that Laverton, Leonora country, Gun Barrel, Cosmo, yeah. Newbury, or even from Mar- Mar- all the motor country and everything. You come through and there's all those wells. And all the stories, as you know, many mob would know about, you know, uh, old canning, for example, you know, feeding them local mob or that, that um, salty meat and then follow them to water holes and then concrete them off and capping them off. All those stories are all right through the desert country. But around our community of Kindor, so Wallungwara, that Lurichi side, Pindabi side, also goes into Kyurukua, right over the Kunawaraji, right into the, to Western Australia. There's, there's about oh, at least a dozen water holes. Tenke, Norman, Wojol, Kalin Benba, all these water holes. And we, we grew up, you know, in the late 90s, and coincidentally when Jamal Ray there was at Pupanya, working at Pupanya, the king of Pupanya, King Brown country, and we were swimming in them. They were full. All of those water holes were full. And we were swimming in right through to the, all the 90s and the, and the 2000s. And if you go back today, if you went back five years ago, every single one of those water holes is dry. And yet, when, we, when the young people talk about it, we talk about it as if it was in the olden days. Oh, in the olden days, them mob used to survive and they used to be in them water holes in the olden days. And then you'd talk to whitefellas and they'd come out and like corporates and that, they'd come out and they'd say, oh, how, do you mob, how did you mob survive in this desert country? How did you mob survive in this desert country? It's so hot, it's so hot. They don't realise that it wasn't that hot. It wasn't that hot back then as it is today. When we go back only 10 or 15 years ago, those water holes were full and now they're, now they're empty, now they're completely dried up. And I can only put it down to one thing, other than what the science and all says. What I know is that we were connected to those places. Thank you.
You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. And today on the show, we heard part one of a three-part episode called Community Healing. And it's from the NADOC 2021 series, Heal Country, Heal Climate. This webinar series is hosted by the Indigenous Peoples Organisation Australia at indigenouspeoples.org.com.au and Better Futures Australia at betterfutures.org.au. And if you miss part of today's show, you can find the podcasts and all the details at 3cr.org.au forward slash earthmatters. And if you're already listening via a podcasting service, we would love you to subscribe. And why not rate us and give us a review to help spread the word? Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their generous support and the Community Radio Network for all their hard work in getting this show out to you. Earth Matters is produced at 3CR Community Radio in Fitzroy, Nam, and we can be contacted at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com. And you can also find us on your socials. That's all for this week, but don't forget, tune in next week for more environmental and social justice stories. Tune in to Billabong Beats Tuesdays at 11am with me, Gavin Moore, giving a voice to both Western Kulin and Kulin First Nations peoples. Join me to talk about philosophy and dreamtime stories surrounding the waterhole, the sacred fire, the land, the plants and animals. Billabong Beats, 11am Tuesdays on 3CR. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.